Welcome to the I Don't Give a Should show, a podcast exploring all the ways that women should all over themselves. How many times do you find yourself acting out of obligation or doing what everyone else expects from you without stopping to consider why? Where do all those beliefs that are driving you come from? If you're tired of feeling resentful, overwhelmed, stuck, exhausted, or pissed off, you are in the right place. Shooting all over yourself is a real thing, but it doesn't have to be in the driver's seat. I'm your host, Jen Sherwood, and I spent way too many years trying to prove that I was good enough and worrying what other people thought while avoiding conflict at all costs. Today, I don't give a shit. Well, not as many anyway, and neither should you. I'm talking to women like you who figured out how to stop shooting and start living. You're listening to the I Don't Give a Shit Show, episode number 15. So today my guest is Arliss Dudley-Cash. Arliss is a number one international best-selling author, business consultant, a self-love coach, an inspirational speaker, and a self-love movement leader. I love everything about this. With a background in business, neuroscience, and forensics, her career expands over several industries, including operations management, research scientist, and death investigation. Arliss unites this eclectic background with her personal journey to overcome the odds and survive a terminal diagnosis. Her award-winning presentations include topics on extreme self-love, mindful business practices, and body positivity. Arliss is a big believer in the magic of our individual stories and the power of storytelling to affect positive change in this world. In 2021, she co-founded the Body Positivity Podcast, which she hosts with her colleague, Diana. Through her company, Solutions LLC, she is passionate about helping her clients to become more powerful, joyful, authentic business owners, experiencing freedom, having a lot more fun in their business, and experiencing the success of their dreams. Arliss's dream is for each of us to become the loves of our lives. Oh my gosh, what an incredible goal. What an incredible, we were talking right before we hit record about just this unique approach you have to combining business and self-love and I cannot wait to get this started. Welcome, Arliss. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear your story. I've heard a little bit of it, but I did say hold that until we're recording because I want to hear what's going on. So without any further ado, Arliss, can you tell us what it was like when you were living under the shoulds? I love this question and I love the I love what you talk about and your podcast because I think a lot of people talk about not shooting on yourself but they don't really think about what it looks like or feels like when they have should on themselves. Yes. And I would say that the feeling that it invokes in me when I think about this previous part of my life is that it was very heavy. Is very heavy. And so in that time of my life, I had the hair I should have. I wore my makeup the way that I should. I wore the clothes that I should wear and married the husband that I should marry and have the job that I should have and all of these things. And really none of it made me truly happy And I definitely didn't do it from a place of self-love or self-acceptance. It was all about molding myself into what I believed other people wanted me to be to the point of putting my life on the line. 
Wow. There is so much in there. And I, I hear exactly what you're saying about you were doing what you thought other people wanted you to do or be. I can't remember which verb you use, but you know, essentially you were making these choices and going down this path because that's kind of what the next step was going to be. And was it expressly given to you? Like, these are the steps maybe from your family, like you're going to go to college and you're going to do this. I mean, I'm guilty of having done that to my own kids, right? Like go to college and, and, prescribing these steps for them, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. They still have choice, but were you expressly told the shoulds or do you think it was more just subtle and you were just responding to them? It was both. So there were shoulds in my life that were expressly told to me around my education, around what jobs I would do, around how I would physically present in the world and how I would communicate all of those shoulds were expressed to me. And I think that there are, is a lot of shoulding that goes on just in community and in kind of like the consciousness of humanity, especially for women, right. especially for women. And, you know, falling into that role, how do I, and these dichotomies that are out there. So how do I become a successful professional at whatever I'm doing? You know, that should of college and higher education and being a successful professional and be an amazing um, homemaker and chef and all of those things that <laughs> yes. women are expected to be in the house and wife and all, and potentially look at having children and, and all of that. It becomes a place that's not sustainable. Right. And it becomes a place that is not attainable. And for that reason, I felt like I was failing all the time. And I think that this is something that a lot of people feel, especially female entrepreneurs. A hundred percent agree there. It's so interesting. We, I literally was just in my membership group and we were talking about this exact thing, how there was a woman and she was struggling. She has a high profile job and a child and she feels like she's falling behind on everything. And we were just talking about how it's like this myth that's been perpetuated that you can have high success and high this and you know, you'll, you'll be ecstasy in motherhood and in your marriage and in your friendships and in your family and at work and everything is going to be great. And when we can't achieve that, we feel like we're the only ones who aren't achieving it. So there must be something wrong because if you look at Instagram, every part of everybody else's lives is hundred percent spot on and they're, you know, blissful everywhere. So what the hell is wrong with us? And that's so yeah. isolating and demoralizing. I hear you hundred percent what you're saying. Yeah. Along the way, we've kind of lost our humanness. And what I mean by that is our ability to be okay with missteps and our ability to be okay with other humans having missteps. And missteps are not necessarily mistakes. Sometimes missteps are the biggest successes we have in our lives that don't look pretty or exactly what we thought that they were gonna look like in that moment. And we get to be human. And we are human, whether we give ourselves permission to be or not. If you give yourself permission to be human and accept our humanness, then that's a place of love. And if we aren't giving ourselves that permission to be human, that's a place of hate. And we get to decide how we want to motivate ourselves, whether it's positive motivation or negative motivation. Oh, my goodness. When you just said that piece about not respecting or not recognizing our humanness, it felt like an exhale. 
for me when you said it, like it's permission to just honor that human piece of yourself. And we all make mistakes, but so the opposite of allowing humanness, would you agree is like the inner critic, you said it's hate. So it's this beating ourselves up. So either we honor and respect that we're very human and we are going to mistakes and we are going to fall down, or we sit in this place of beating ourselves up for not being perfect, for not being superhuman. Yes. Ah, you know, when you put it like that, it makes it so clear and it seems easy. And yet it's not easy to move from a place of beating yourself up into a place of self-compassion. So I'm imagining if I walk this back a little bit, so that heavy feeling for you, when you were going through this, when you were responding to these expectations that by the way, nobody can live up to, you know, these expectations that are in our culture, our families, our society. So there was this heavy feeling for you. So what was happening for you as you were moving through this? Striving and conformity and what it all came down to was really overworking myself in every aspect of my life. Being willing and okay with putting my physical and mental health on the line to achieve and not um, having a regard for what my body, soul, or mind needed in order to be healthy. I didn't even have the concept. I mean, I knew healthy in the sense of somebody physically presenting as not sick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but I didn't know the concept of actually being healthy in body and mind at the time. So interesting. I was just thinking about that. So often when we're particularly when we're younger, we are just striving. And so behind the striving, I would imagine there was proving you were Mm -hmm. working really hard to prove yourself. And you just don't think about what the toll is, what that's going to take on you until something shows up, generally speaking. Absolutely. And I get asked all the time when I am on a panel and conferences or that sort of thing, what is the biggest cause for entrepreneurs not being successful in their business. And the biggest cause that I see is some type of physical or mental breakdown due to overworking, where they get to a place of being physically out of the process of being able to work in their business or experiencing extreme burnout or fatigue. And this is what I experienced too. I wasn't working in a business at the time I was a graduate student in neuroscience at the time, and I had a significant and rapid health decline that was unexpected. And I was diagnosed with a rare genetic condition, which did impact the health decline. And I was told that I probably only had about a year to live at the time. And And I realized in that moment that in all of that proving, as you said, and striving, that I had literally almost overworked myself to death. Oh my God. How old were you when you got this diagnosis? I mean, a diagnosis like that at any age is traumatic, but how old were you? I was 28. Oh my God. Wow. I cannot imagine what that was like for you. Can you share? It was devastating. I am the biggest gift I've ever been given. Mm. But at the yeah. in the moment, it was devastating. You know, I had a beautiful home. I was three and a half years into a PhD program. I 
was dating somebody new. I was playing softball on the weekends with my friends and had dogs and, you know, all the things that people think about as far as like finally having made it in their life. And it was all taken away in an instant. And I didn't know if I was going to recover. And honestly, at that point, I didn't know if I really wanted to try to recover. I was devastated and in a place where giving up looked at like the the easiest option and just allowing how sick I was to take its course. And about six months after my diagnosis, I decided not to give up. And I decided it was worth it to try. Wow. What was it? What made you shift? I felt like, why not? I'm worth it. I'm worth trying and I may not be successful. You know, it's so funny because every other part of my life was so driven by being successful. And I wouldn't even try things if I didn't think I could be successful because, oh, you know, wow. I didn't want to run the risk yeah. of being quote unquote failure. Right. And I was like, why not? If I succeed, I get to stay here and live a life. And if I don't succeed, nothing changes. I'm still in the same position. I just go further down this path. And I think that that was a big turning point for me. And one of the reasons why I've been so successful in my business and life now is because I'm just not afraid to ask. I'm not afraid to try. I'm not afraid to fall completely flat on my face in front of a group of people and then get up and and try again. And it's so much less scary for me to try new things now because I already tried the thing that would be the hardest thing not to be successful at. And so everything else, even if I don't succeed, it doesn't, it's just a blip. I love this so much. And yet I still like, I want to ask you one thing from as this journey was progressing. So you said after the six months, you decided I'm worth it. In the six months before, were you a person who, who thought you were worthy of your own affection, attention, that sort of thing? Or was this the shift? Oh, not only did I not think I was worthy and did not have a self-love practice, didn't even understand the concept of self-love, I used shame, blame, threats to motivate myself. That was my bread and butter of how I moved myself forward in my life. And I will say that it will be successful up to a point. Mm. Negative motivation is successful up to a point. Yeah. And then it will not be successful anymore and it will cause people to take a downturn. And that's exactly what I experienced too. And I think that the shift happened because I realized that I had put everything else in front of my own health and everything else in front of my own well-being, my partner, my parents, my family, my friends, my career, my pets, everything. Everything. Yeah. And I had to get to a point where the only thing I had left was myself, was to give to myself. Yeah. And I'm curious, can I, oh, sorry to interrupt you. Can I just ask you a quick question before this escapes my brain? So you were saying, you know, that that shame, blame, that sort of thing can be motivating to a point. 
Now that you have successfully been that person versus the person who's motivated from a place of self-love, I have to imagine, but I want to hear what it's like for you, that that motivation feels differently in how things are executed and in your fulfillment or enjoyment of your life. So coming from a place of proving and shame or whatever the motivation was, that <laughs> doesn't sound like it was a good motivator versus now, can you talk a little bit about that for women who may still be very much in the shame and blame one? Like, what is it like now when your motivation comes from true self-love? Well, and I will say that making the shift can feel really scary because if we have had something that has helped us up to this point, choosing something different and new can feel scary. And now motivating from a place of a positive motivation, you know, compassion, gentleness, self-love, kindness, all of those things. It's like being able to breathe. Oh, wow. It's like being able to breathe yeah. because there's no pressure or tension. There's no sadness. There's no anger that I'm directing at myself. There's no judgment. And I'm not saying that I'm a hundred percent at this all the time. Self-love is a journey and there's peaks and valleys in that. And I'm always learning more about how I can love myself. And It takes away that heaviness. It lightens everything up and it makes doing things so much easier. I don't even like literally, it just feels like being able to take that breath. And I know that we have all been there where we felt under pressure or we felt deep shame or felt unworthy and we almost can't breathe from that weight. And when we move into a place of self-love, it's like, taking that full deep breath and feeling the whole chest and abdomen expand and that it's like luxurious almost. Oh my gosh. I love the contrast. So that feeling of heavy, we all know that feeling of when something feels really heavy and weighty and difficult. And I'm almost imagining like a boulder sitting on top of the chest, impacting the breathing. That was kind of the sense I got when you said heavy. And so when you said it feels like you can breathe just light and airy, and that is so inspiring and motivating. And my head is going so many different directions that I want to go with you because I find this conversation so fascinating, but coming from that place of positive motivation, I just love how you're describing the feeling. Arliss, can I just, can I put you on the spot for a second? But I'm wondering, so I can imagine a huge percentage of women who are listening to us right now have zero idea how to love themselves. So is there just like, is there one thing that someone can implement today to start shifting out of that heavy into this place of being able to breathe? Yeah. The most impactful practice that I have experienced and seen my clients experience is looking at themselves in the mirror and saying to themselves, I love you and start where you can. If the first time you go to look yourself in the mirror, you can barely make eye contact, just practice making eye contact. It may take a period of time to get to the point where you can say, I love you to yourself in the mirror and really feel that it's true and they mean it. And that's okay. And there are days when I do it that it doesn't feel as true as other days. And that's okay too. Yeah. I imagine a world where it's normal for people to wake up 
and that be something that everyone does around the world. Oh my God. I want to live in that world. (laughs) I do too. I want to live in that world. (laughs) Because that's not how particularly women are raised. In fact, I will say this is just silly, but as an aside, my older brother used to walk around our house when we were growing up. He's a teenager and he used to walk around singing. I am so beautiful to himself. You, You do. You would not catch girls are not raised that way. We're raised in a way like looks are super, super important. And this is part of the value that we bring to the culture. That's what we're raised to believe. But if you worry about your looks, you're conceited and selfish. So like there are all these conflicting messages and yet, and we're not talking about superficial look in the mirror, say you love yourself. That's not what we're talking about, but women aren't socialized to love themselves. We're not. And so this practice, I want to live in this world too. Yeah. You know, the biggest shift that we can do is to try to take the comparison out of things. Mm. We are all our own individual humans and our body expressions are unique to us. There's no possible way, even through surgery, to look identical to another person. You know, even identical twins eventually look a little bit different just because of the natural aging process. If we can take the comparison out of it or even recognize when it's happening, that can be a huge step towards self-love. Oh my gosh. Comparisonitis is so defeating. We don't feel better by our, about ourselves by trying to climb on the backs of someone else. Like, well, at least I'm better than that. Or then I'm worse than this. Neither direction is useful. So how did this influence Because you have this amazing business working with entrepreneurs and bringing in self-love practices. And how did this lead you to the work that you're doing now? Well, you know, and I said that getting that diagnosis was one of the biggest gifts of my life. And it is because I get to do what I do now. Mm -hmm. And I get to live a life where I get to teach these practices. And I also get to teach the nuts and bolts of business. So I'm super nerdy. And I have an MBA (laughs) and I love the nuts and bolts of business. I love how businesses work. And I love working with entrepreneurs on getting organized and putting in processes and systems and all those nerdy things. I love all of that. And in order to be really successful in business, we have to love ourselves. There's research that shows that when we have higher emotional intelligence, we make more money about $1,600 per emotional intelligence point, actually. Wow. And that mindfulness is incredibly important for decision-making in business. And that entrepreneurs that practice mindfulness are more successful in business. And there was a research study done in 2020 that showed that the biggest impact on resiliency in business Uh, to survive the pandemic was the ability of the business owner to be self-compassionate. Wow. Wow. That is incredible. It seems like these two industries, disciplines that, that seem not compatible, and yet they're so entirely compatible and maybe even interdependent, you could say. Absolutely. I mean, if we look at people that are really successful in business long-term, they are working on growth within themselves. They are working on these principles. Now they may not talk about it in the boardroom, but they are surely, surely enacting them. 
in their business and with the people that they are interacting with. And they are choosing to do business with those who are doing the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you obviously you beat or you have learned to live with, or I actually shouldn't make assumptions about where your health is at, but I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this really vibrant, healthy looking woman who has presumably outlived that initial, what they said you had. I'm thankful for that. So you went from heavy, you got this life-changing diagnosis. What is life like now? You've done this massive amount of work. You have this business that you love. What is life like now? Fun. (laughs) (laughs) Life is so much fun and I have so much play in my life. And honestly, working in my business feels like play a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I have silliness and all of those things and love and care and really wonderful people. I am very healthy now. It's been almost 10 years since my diagnosis. Congratulations. Thank you. I have changed almost every single way I show up in the world from how I speak to myself, to what I put in my body, to the clothes that I wear, and even the health professionals that I have supporting me. And I think that that's something that's important to say too, is that your journey to health is really your journey and Mm -hmm. you get to make it look like what you want it to look like. And with my business solutions, which is Solutions, S-O-U-L-L-U-T-I-O-N-S. Love it. I really get to bridge the gap between the soul that we have in this human form. And what does that mean for us as humans doing business? And how do we do business really well? And that, again, comes down to the science behind business. And it comes down to the soul connection to how we do business and how we're treating ourselves. And honestly, if you would have asked me five years ago that this is, you know, is this what you think you'll do? I would have laughed you out of the room because I would have (laughs) never thought that it would have been impossible. I mean, we don't see this talked about much in the business world. And I want it to become normal. I want mindfulness, emotional intelligence, self-love, self-compassion, all of those things to become normal in the business world. I love it. What a fantastic goal to have as your, it seems like it's like your North star, like this is what you're moving towards. This is what's guiding you. I love this so much. So Arliss, I can't imagine whether people listening are entrepreneurs or not, they might want a little more Arliss in their daily lives. So tell us, we will put all of this in the show notes for those of you listening, but tell us how people can find you. My website is solutions.com. Again, that's S-O-U-L. L-U-T-I-O-N-S. And I'm on social media as Arliss Dudley Cash and Solutions. I do a lot of public speaking and that sort of thing. And so you can also just Google me and, and there'll be talks that come up and that sort of thing. So, and I love connecting with people. I have a daily I love you list that I have dozens of people on and I send out daily I love you messages. I love to connect with people and I love to support entrepreneurs, whether they think I'm a good fit as a business consultant for them or not. I do a ton of networking, so I would love to connect and I would love to connect you to the people that you need in your life. 
Yeah. Amazing. I will attest to that because Arliss and I had our first conversation. I don't even remember. It was weeks, months ago. I don't remember. And she's already connected me to some incredible women. So I can attest to how networking is just part of who you are and you really do know who people need to talk to. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for being on the show. It was just a joy to have you here. Thank you. And thank you for what you're doing and having this conversation. This conversation changes lives and we need more of this in the world. Thank you. Oh, I thanks for saying that. Cause I think so too. The more we can spread self-love and the more we can get out from under shoulds and expectations, ugh, the better. So, all right, Arliss, thanks so much for being here. To those of you listening, I'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Hey friend. If you recognize yourself in these stories and you don't want to give a should anymore, you have to join my coaching community, the GC. Come learn the tools to recognize when fear and worry are running the show and how to shift into more of what you want without guilt or blowing up your life. Unless of course, that's what you want. Inside the GC, you'll learn strategies to start making yourself a priority. Stop saying yes when you mean no, have hard conversations and so much more. And you get to do this with a group of women who are making the same changes in their lives and are there to support you, not judge you. It's a seriously warm, safe space where genuine connections are made. The GC is where doubt and loneliness meet their match. You can get all the info at jennifersherwood.com slash the GC. But if you're not ready for something like that yet, I've got you. Head over to my website, jennifersherwood.com and hit the relief right now button. I'll send three ridiculously simple steps to go from overwhelm to ease.